0: Alright guys, shall we uh, launch into it? Yeah, Mabel. Mabel, Mabel. Pushes away from the McCulloch. Thurston gets the ball to Morgan. Morgan crosses the 20. Comes away to O'Neill. Goal! Ah! Ah! Meldon scores! Ah! Meldon scores in the corner! Welcome to Above the Horizontal, a podcast about rugby league. I'm your host, Bo Nicholson. This is a show by the fans... For the fans where we will be discussing the two grand finals that just happened last weekend the nrl between the panthers and the eels and the nrlw between the knights and the eels also before that we'd like to give out the wildcard awards to discuss something interesting we noticed during the week don't forget to subscribe so you can get some rugby league chat without the media agendas just whatever individual genders we are driving and cooking up to help me drive those agendas, I'm joined by a couple of fellas that definitely have some spicy agendas. I'm sure after the weekend, it's Chris Waring and Kieran Gibson. Chris, how was your weekend, mate?
1: Good, mate. Joined it with some few friends. Watching the grand final. You mentioned it was the they closest were, game.
0: They were eels fans. Yeah, I
1: mentioned. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Look, uh, the the mood in the room. Well, oh, we're actually sitting in there. We're watching it in a, on a projector on, in a mate's shed. Just having a few drinks. Yeah. Look, the the mood was down pretty quickly. I think it was kind of obvious pretty quick what the result was going to be. But, um, yeah, enjoyable regardless, well, f- for me anyway. <laughs> and that was the NRLW alone, Not
0: alone, the NRL result. Oh, yeah. The poor <laughs> bug is yeah. two losses in one day.
1: Yeah. yeah that, that was It was actually funny. One of my mates was like, oh, really into it. And then it was kind of paramount in it for a bit, as I'm sure we'll get into in the NRLW. And then when they lost, it's like, oh it doesn't matter anyway, we're gonna win the NRL one and then yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> lucky. And Kieran Gibson you're here as well. Uh now your brother Owen Gibson, who get, who does the phenomenal tip of the week, the big E, uh he had the eels at plus two hundred and fifty thousand or something by the end, just before kickoff. Uh how did he go coping with, you know, watching that unfold?
2: Uh, well, I've done a, a lot of cross-checking across websites and I can confirm that the Eels didn't win at all. Um, so, yeah, his bold missed by quite a bit. Um, but no, I've had a good weekend, watched the, the London and Melbourne Marathon as I'm sure some of the boys did as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the grand final. So um, despite the result being over quite quickly, I still thought it was quite an enjoyable watch.
0: Now, uh, Chris, you mentioned that you were going to watch the Nairobi Marathon. Is that one still going, by the way? That's like seven days ago.
1: Yeah, last I, last I checked, they just come around the last bend now, So, Mike, you am have watched watch the cross finish line tomorrow.
0: <laughs> guys, let's talk about bold predictions from last week. Uh, I'm pretty sure Frenny's didn't come up. Miles' definitely did not come up. It was very elaborate. I did want to see uh junior palo cop one in the head but it did not happen uh mine did not happen either i had the eels in front at half time but losing they were not in front by half time uh they i actually saw a stat the other day that said uh, in their last three grand finals they haven't scored a point in the first half so 24-0 at half time against the knights in 2001 10-0 against the storm in 2009 at half time and 18-0 on the weekend gone so my prediction was just really bad Kieran, you had the starting front rowers to combine for 650 metres, but the Eels kind of let you down on that one. We needed a big performance from all four, and they didn't even crack 100 metres each of those two. But Chris Waring has his first ever bold prediction come off correctly by saying that one of the full-backs will win the Clive Churchill medal. Well done, mate.
1: Yep, cheers. Um, massive moment in my life, this, to get a, a, a bold finally correct after getting a litany of God knows how many wrong. But, um, you know, i got... In the big game, I uh, put out a big performance for got one. Excellent work. <laughs> Congratulations, mate. Now, it's time for the
0: Wild Card Awards. Always a bit of fun. Kieran Gibson, what is your Wild Card Award this week?
2: Yeah, so mine is um, Eels-related. I thought that they were brilliant despite losing. I've got the If You're Not First, You're Last doesn't always tell the, uh, the full story award, which goes to the Parramatta Eels. Um, if Sebo or Simonson convert their chances, um, I was... Kind of thinking on reflection, who knows what might have happened. Um, The score was 22-0 when either of them could have scored with like 25 minutes to go. Um, But yeah, they scored twice in the last four minutes with beautifully creative attacking plays that required pretty much like all of their attacking now and willpower to execute. Um, So yeah, I've just got to say kudos to them for bringing bringing out some of their best football when the game was gone and their premiership drought ending hopes already faded.
0: I will say this, 75 minutes of no Jacob Arthur, Panthers 28-nil, five minutes of <laughs> Jacob Arthur on the field, Eels 12-nil. You do the maths. Uh, Brad Arthur should have played him more. Nepotism is the key as far as I'm concerned. Uh, my, my, you mentioned the uh, Bailey Summerson, perhaps missed opportunity. Uh, it sort of links in with what I'm going to talk about. Mine is the holy hyperbole Batman. Award, Which goes to Matt Thompson, who, never shy to try and take the limelight in any way that he can, was desperately searching for his moment in the sun. Step up, Dylan Edwards, who makes a good fullback tackle on Bailey Simons. And let's be real, it was a good tackle. Matt Thompson started yelling into his microphone and brought it up twice shortly after. It's Sattler 2.0! No, it's not you, idiot. In a close grand final in 2003, Scott Sattler, a back rower, chased down a winger to pull off arguably the best tackle our sport has seen in the NRL era. That is not hyperbole. Flash forward 19 years and Dylan Edwards makes a tackle any fullback would be expected to make in a game they've basically already won and Thompson can't help himself. Edwards made a good tackle. And has a great game to top off an excellent season. But let's remember, if you missed that tackle and Simonson scores, we'd be saying it was a shit attempt, a basic error, and the Panthers still would have won comfortably. So the holy hyperbole Batman award goes to Matt Thompson. I have fairly gone after him there, but, uh, you know, as Ella said in the group chat, hit him where it hurts, mate, on a, on a lowly, <laughs> on a lowly podcast. Chris Waring, let's hit some other people where it hurts. What is your wildcard
1: award? All right, so my wildcard award, and if there's any uh, click view, uh, sorry, um, sorry, click hole fans in the audience, I'll click view, you might notice a picture of a balding man looking kind of, I guess, uh, looking into the, the camera lens, and it's on associated with heartbreaking. The worst person you know just made a great point, and it's going to friends of the show, Paul Kent, who, and let's just get the qualifier out to start with, I hate Paul Kent. Paul Kent is a agenda-driven you know, asshole who mostly likes to tear the game down. But he is making a good point at this, and the point that I want to make is just because Paul Kent is the one saying it does not mean it's wrong. If, let's say, someone disliked an Australian society like Scott Morrison came out and said that Hitler is but Hitler was bad. That doesn't mean Scott Morrison is is wrong about that point because he's an asshole. Yes, right. Yes. Same thing applies here. So the comment was that so that this is about the Pennis celebration, which is really just dis- I, I think quite disappointing because they like that was probably probably the greatest performance I've seen from a full seventeen in a grand final mm-hmm. in terms of um, just dominant and everyone. You know, no one had a bad game, in my opinion. Everyone played uh, really well. Some superstars stood out, those who had that role. But they were just, like, so dominant in that game. But I think it has, and I find it just, and, and the comment from Paul Kent was that they're smug and they're immature and, you know, that, that will taint their legacy. And I tend to agree with that in terms of how people look funnily on the team. Where, am I, you know, I classify, what I classify this as is it's like the, americanization of our sport and athletes into just these absolutely insane displays of grandeur and narcissism you know the instagram posts the taking shots at other teams despite you winning two grand finals in a row um i just think the defense against it has been genuinely ridiculous you know if even if you you grant like oh yeah that's not good behavior like the panthers still win the competition which i think some people don't understand that if you admit something wrong, the premiership isn't going to be taken away. Like it's okay. You already won. And it's something that's was, I'm not a big fan of James Fisher, Harris stuff, the, uh, the chorus, comments, rather, especially I'm just removing myself as a Tigers fan. I just thought they were obnoxious in general, mm-hmm. especially you're making, you know, the jokes on you half and you're making that joke. Um, yeah, I just, I'm curious to see what you, both you guys think of it, but I just thought that, I personally just find it incredibly cringeworthy like just be a little bit humble about recognizing you know the, what you've achieved who you've beaten rather rather than putting them down I think it makes you win better acknowledging the teams you've conquered and beat and whatnot um, yeah so I just think it's put a bit of a stain on the Panthers premiership but I'm curious what you guys think about that. I, I do
0: have some thoughts Kieran do you have any thoughts? A lot has been spoken about the
2: fact that the Panthers went back to back because of their culture, but when you see them carrying on the way that they are, um, it doesn't paint their culture in the brightest light. Uh, like obviously they've got a, a star-studded team; it's incredible what they've done these last three years—nearly three premierships in a row. Um, but yeah, they—I do agree with Chris that they kind of taint it with their carry-on and. If anyone has a rebuttal for that, I'd be happy to listen. But the only thing is like I can't really think of another team where it's been spoken about the carry on after a premiership win at all, like ever. At least in the NRL. So uh it's a bit poor, yeah. I I completely agree. I
0: well I guess I guess it'll be my job to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Um I for the record I do agree as well. Um I've What I'm wary of, I guess, is like... And as you say, Paul Kent's a shit bloke, right? Like, this, the exact reason that people probably choose to listen to this podcast compared to watching an 360. Like, yeah, those guys have better access to players and coaches and more experience in rugby league and all that sort of stuff. But you might want to get away from that sort of thing because the media agenda is just out of control. And you have to think that Paul Kent's comments might, even though that we might agree with them, might still be agenda-driven in some way. So, I'm cautious of that. I am also cautious of the fact that there is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of negativity around particular people in the Penrith side. And, like, speaking for myself, and I know that Chris and Kieran and anybody else on this podcast wouldn't think this way exactly, but I don't believe... That everybody that is commenting things like calling, you know, this player a flog, that person a flog, this person a deadbeat, this person a grub. I, I, I would say that a lot of that would be maybe racially driven, which is obviously a problem. We, what we don't want to do is we don't want to sit there and say things like they seem to have a bad culture out there and have that misconstrued as. Well, you know, the predominant culture of that club is a shit culture. Like, we're not saying that. Um, what we're, what we're saying is that this team has shown a lot of arrogance and could afford to be a bit more humble about the way they're doing things. I, I guess what I'm, what I'm kind of leaning towards, well, one thing that I have seen a lot of is how people were talking up this grand final. We had Phil Gould saying the Panthers were going to win by 20 but it's still going to be one of the most memorable grand finals ever, which didn't make a lot of sense. But the reason he said that was because of the rivalry, you know, the rivalry, like, you know, like, we like Parramatta fucking hate Penrith and Penrith fucking hates Parramatta. And then, you know, when James Fisher Harris drunkenly slash hungoverly says they are our, we are their daddy or whatever, they are our sons, then the media goes berserk when the media has been driving the rivalry themselves, that to me seems a bit conflicting. I'm not that I don't. I'm not that fussed about James Fisher Harris's comments, to be honest. I like think it's a bit floggy, but you know, it could be a bit more humble. I'm a bit more worried about Jerome Luai using the N-word um, in public Instagram posts um, and the amount of bragging that's happening on those Instagram posts that you talked about there, Chris. That Americanization that that braggadocio, oh man, I, I, I can't get around that. And what I would be interested in is a potential solution. So with a question without notice, how do you guys feel about some potential solutions to this problem? Because, you know, let's face it, the Panthers are, you know, really letting off some steam at the moment. They're having a great time. Um, but Mad Monday exists for literally every other team. In, in the NRL in some capacity, but other clubs do handle it a bit differently, you know, behind closed doors, um, you know, with certain social media policies. Even some people like don't have certain drinking policies as well, you know, a certain amount of alcohol in a certain situation or whatever, right? So, I guess what I'm trying to get to is, is there a way that the Panthers- as a brand, as an organisation with the coach and the CEO and all that, the general managers, is there a way that they can protect the players from themselves while they go about this sort of, you know, celebration, so that they're not on social media using curse words and belittling other people and just making general fools of themselves? I guess I'll go to you first, Chris. Yeah.
1: Well, just a quick point, just for fairness, and I guess just to argue against myself a little bit that, One of the comments that um, I I think it was Mark Geyer on Triple M, and obviously he's a massive Panthers um, legend. Um, So take those words. But uh, something I did consider with Fitcher Harris's comments that they've been up all night on the drink, like, you know, hungover, they've all got glasses on. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that probably like contextualizes it a bit. But it also doesn't like, there's still flawed comments. It doesn't just because you say that while in that state doesn't mean, oh, it's, it's cool, you can just say what you want. Um, so anyway, back, just going back to your um, main point there, that Pen- Penrith won't do anything. Ivan, Ivan Cleary won't do anything. Brian Fletcher, the CA, won't do anything because they are a club terminally afraid of ruining what they have. And what they have in playing ability is, you know, something incredible. You know, they I would say at this point, probably the best team of the NRO era. Mm. Um, they're not going to do anything that at all risks that or offends any player or any type of chemistry despite how toxic it may appear. So and again, so they they need to make a choice. And I, I agree with you, Bo, about Louis using the um, the M term is like a, a genuine disgrace, in my opinion, that he should be sanctioned for that. there's I can get into that for more reasons about like linkage to the hand or whatnot, but like, yeah, I just don't have any faith that Penrith won't do anything about it. And they, they just have this us against the world, you know, it's like an imaginary chip on their shoulder. And I don't buy the whole, like, I get, like, there are definitely are racist people out there that cling on to it for sure, but that, that happens in everything. But, for example, I think Nathan Cleary is, like, one of the worst offenders and he's, you know, just a white guy
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, of, like, this lair kind of knob um, culture that they have. So, yeah, just – and Panther's, I guess, I mean, the larger response is like, like, oh, we'll, we'll, we don't care anyway. Like, we're, we're happy to be the villains, blah, blah, blah. But then they get super – they respond to every single comment that comes out, which makes me think that they're not actually the carefree, you know, bad boys that they're trying to portray, portray themselves as if they're very sensitive to any kind of comment that disagrees with how they're acting, I guess. So, to be honest, so it's just to sum it up, I, I don't see it ending, to be honest, because I, I don't think Penrith will do anything about it.
0: It's interesting you say that about the bad boy image, like, you know, uh, Jerome Luai coming out and saying things like, call me daddy, and then as soon as Ryan Madison today sits there and says, oh, well, you know, I mean, Jerome Luai kicked somebody and nothing happened because of that. Uh, Jerome Luai, uh took a, I think a, a screenshot of Madison's quote and then added, Crying eyes, a crying like three crying faces to his Instagram story
1: yeah. with it, and it's just like, well, I mean, but the, how yeah, that's exactly you, what, daddy? yeah, yeah, like that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like he's like almost sitting there refreshing on Fox League page, like trying to pull off these like braggadocious comments, and then anyone responds to it, and literally mm-hmm. like, so Brian Madison's salty now because like he kicked hit at someone in the back in the game was and was unrewarded for it. Uh, uh, like not penalised for it, and he was for like a, I would say a very soft penalty. Like it's it's just the yeah. Like just some of the personalities in that team are just you know just toxic. I don't know. Yeah,
0: Kieran. Um, for first of all, how do you feel about you know the Panthers' ability? Or like you know, are there any strategies that they can deploy to sort of protect themselves as an organisation and the players within them? Um, and do you think they would?
2: I'll just jump straight to Chris's point. I think he's right. I think um, the the players themselves think that their success defines how they should be able to to uh, behave, and they think because they've been so successful, they're able to behave however they want. As kind of proven by wise use of, of the word in his Instagram post. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty disgraceful and uh, not not the. I'm a I'm very much not a proponent of excusing behavior for uh, being a bit younger, and that goes to, to Luai as well. I'm not actually sure how old he is, but uh, he's definitely old enough to, to know that he shouldn't be using that word. And then the the Ryan Madison thing with Luai as well, just touching on that, I thought that that was quite funny as well because it wasn't even a personal attack on Luai. It was just an example to use to say that if if you're banning me for something that was incidental, why are you not banning for something that was completely purposeful? Um, And Louie, yeah, is just quite easily antagonized and reacted to it. And um, I think it it feeds into that culture that, like, they just get layered up and think, oh, we're God's gift to – maybe this is being a little harsh, but they do seem to think that because of their uh, talents, they can just behave however they want. I I don't like it. I mean, going back to the Broncos-Cowboys grand final – I would have been devastated if we lost that grand final, but I would have hoped that they would have done it in good spirit um, and behaved well after after they won because um, I think the Cowboys held themselves really well. I know it was our first premiership, so why why would we go after the Broncos? But it's it's the exact same thing for the Panthers. You just won back-to-back. Why do you need to behave the way you are and, and go after the Eels? You've already got what you were after.
0: There's plenty of flog behavior in rugby league, but one thing that I, I wish... I think the thing that I'm most disappointed about through all this is that we saw it coming. We all saw it coming. We knew that Jerome Luai would be a flog. To Jerome Luai's credit, at least he's being a flog before the game, calling me daddy and stuff like that. And then, you know, they won. So I guess, you know- cool, like, call in daddy, I don't, you know, whatever, like, this is floggy shit, the the N-words are very different, kettle of fish, to anyone that sits there and says, well, they can celebrate how they like, it's like, well, you know, fair enough, if you want to, you know, have a lot of fun with the boys and not hurt anybody, go right ahead, I'm on board with that, um, enjoy yourselves, enjoy the the victory, but using the N-word is hurting somebody. That is hurting people. Attacking other people, saying that they, you know, like just, like belittling other people, belittling your, your opponents. That, that is hurting people. I just think there's a classy way to do it. I I'm, I might not be the, the right person to speak on behalf of this because, you know, we've talked about this in the group chat before when it comes to cricket sledging. You know, I'm the kind of person that I'm very vocal on a cricket court or a cricket field, like very vocal. I was a wicketkeeper back in the day. Like, you have to be vocal. But you don't have to be a prick to the opposition. You can sledge in clever ways or you can just encourage your own team. And what the Panthers could have done in this moment is being really really graceful and really celebrate their own remarkable achievement. The only the only the second team to go back-to-back in the NRL era is an enormous achievement and honestly they could do 3, they could do 4 in a row. It, like we could be looking at a Queensland-style dynasty about to happen in the in the NRL, like a dragon style dynasty. It, it, it's possible, you know, that they could win multiple years in a row. And we would all feel much better about it if they were just less floggy about it. And the problem that I've got, the biggest problem is this all happened last year. Not all of it. This happened a little bit differently. Like the Tyrone May thing, uh, Billy Kikau singing the the Rabbitos thing, uh, you know, not treating the trophy with respect and getting that broken and just like a whole bunch of different things. Like it was the messiest victory celebration we've seen in recent memory and they learned nothing and they doubled down on it. What are they doing? Like it's, it's just embarrassing at this point. So yeah, I just want
1: to, I just want to add one point as well. That's something that I find personally detestable to the whole thing. So like I, I'm originally from, uh, I'm originally from Blacktown, which is I played football for, uh, regularly growing up in the Penrith Junior District. FTA. But, that's right, mate. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, I'm from Penrith and I still live in Western Sydney. I understand the area quite well. And something that has pissed me off to no end is that, well, if they get any critique, firstly, they'll deflect it on, you know, it's just this old alcoholic on Fox, which is true, right, uh, criticizing us and then he's probably a racist, which I think is kind of, that, you know, that may be true as well, but that doesn't take away if the criticism's right or wrong. And then another thing is, like, oh, the haters, of course, are from Western Sydney. Okay, firstly, not everyone in that team is from Western Sydney. Yes, there are a lot, right? And then that – and it's like they just assume that, okay, then every, everything – and this is another issue with Jerome Lua about – and this is getting into a, lot, a bigger issue that I have with that team as well about a lot of um, drill rap and the – connotations that it has right not everyone in western sydney and i know this because i've i've born lived in western sydney my whole life is you know around that you know those, those that context and want to be represented that way and an often way plays into a lot of bad stereotypes about western sydney and this they use this as a defense when, when we're saying about when you should be celebrating your win why don't you celebrate it on focusing on your fans in the area right you're not celebrating the area by just having a go at, you know, belittling South Sydney or belittling Parramatta Eels or taking random fucking pot shots at the Tigers for some reason, right? That's not that's not the same thing, right? Celebrate your fans and what you know. You're from a, a lot of these areas in Penrith District are low socioeconomic areas, right? Rugby league are a massive thing to a lot of these people as a joy in their lives and they have a great team, right? So maybe don't be flogs and actually put some of the focus off yourself and that narcissism away and celebrate the air and the fans for what they are. That's my last comment on that. I think
0: it's a good last comment because th- that is something that they do. They do take a lot of pride in their area. They do take a lot of pride in their families and the, and the kind of club that they're building in that sense. If they only focus on that and stops bringing in the negative stuff, I think we're all okay with that. And, uh, you know, Again. Hopefully they learn this lesson because when we're sitting here next year and they've won three in a row, <laughs> let's hope they are not doing this exact stuff, guys. Let's let's move on to the NRLW grand final. Thanks so much for that, Chris, because that was a a very interesting talking point. Uh, the Knights' victory against the Eels, thirty-two to twelve. I thought the Eels, you know, put up a, a really really good fight
2: in that game. Don't you think, Kieran? Yeah, I do. I. I absolutely agree. I thought at 18-12 the Eels were really coming for the Knights. I thought the first half the um, Knights were well on top and I thought oh they're going to go away with this but early in that second half probably the 15-20 minutes into it I thought oh geez the Eels are I thought they would come home with it and then the, the Knights defense just stood up really well and I think they thoroughly deserved their maiden grand final premiership in the end. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Chris, you mentioned that you were, uh, you were watching it with a, with a couple of Eels fans in a shed of all places. Um, shout out to Daniel Friends, other podcast beers in the sheds. That sounds like basically the ideal thing. Um, now Chris, yeah, what, what was the mood like? You mentioned that there was a, a bit of hope because the Eels putting up a decent fight at one point. Um, and then how do they feel as it started to slip away with the class of, you know, Boyle, Southwell, Upton?
1: Yeah, just quickly, we were paying homage um, to Friendlies other podcast, so give that a listen if you're listening um, to this episode. Uh, yeah, I, I was similar to what Kieran just expressed. Then I didn't really give Parameter much hope, mostly uh, mostly based off their track record. But there was they were in it for quite a while, and the scoreline wasn't as I guess. Um, indicative of what the game was actually like. There was a real flurry of tries at the end there. Parramatta were really in it for quite a while, but um, just a bit of touch of class, I think. Jesse Southwell was exceptional um, straight at the end, and then, yeah, I think that they just had a, a few garbage minute tries really that kind of blew out the score a bit, but uh, I thought Parramatta could be proud of the way they played in that game. They they really they really gave it to the Knights, so I thought
0: uh yeah, shout out, as you said, shout out to Friendy's other podcast. If anyone wants to listen to Beers in the Sheds, uh, there is a link in the show notes every week. So do check that out. Um, I thought the score, you're right. I think the score wasn't really a fair reflection of how close the contest was. But I feel like it was a fair reflection of the types of teams that they were. The Eels are that real grindy team that didn't have a lot of penetration um in terms of scoring points. So what they needed to do was drag teams into the contest and have a, you know, a low scoring dour affair and just sneak over the line by two, four, six points. The Knights are, they had, they had that class. They have, you know, the Tamika Uptons of the world, the Jesse Southwell, that we talked about. Um, and then Johnston and Millie Boyle up front, um, you know, really adding that punch also. Manzelman off the bench, uh, a real live wire from, from North Queensland. Uh, so I think, you know, winning by 20 points, it kind of was an indication for me because the Knights have the kind of team that can score, you know, two tries in five minutes and, and blow a score away. The Eels don't have that kind of team. So, um that's yeah, Tamika Upton, uh, I think the best fullback in the game in a very, very hot field, including her opponent, Gail Broughton, and then, of course, Sam Brebner from the Roosters and Emma Tonagato from the Dragons. It's a very hot field for best fullback. I think she's the best. She won the Karen Murphy medal. I think, Chris, you might have predicted that one pregame. Or was that Kieran that predicted that one? Nable. That was me. That was me, Yeah, Nable, Nable, Nable. So, sorry, I'll go to you then, Kieran. Um, You know, you predicted it before the game. How did you feel about it? as it was unfolding, like, it seemed like she deserved it?
2: Yeah, I thought, um, I didn't know who was going to get it, uh, probably until maybe the last 20, 15 minutes, and then I thought her class really um, shone through. I thought Millie Boyle probably still could have got it for her last 15, I think, yeah, just the last 15, 20 minutes, um, the nights were really, really good, and there was a few players that probably could have got it. Uh, Millie Boyle, Upton, Southwell, but, yeah, I think I don't think there'd be too many complaints that Upton one.
0: What about you, Chris? Um, anyone that stood out for you, or was Upton the clear winner?
1: I thought Southwell was um, pretty good chat, but yeah, not not all disappointed with um, Upton. There, there was quite probably a few you could have had, but I thought Southwell might have been an outside chance, but um, yeah, perfectly fine with Upton.
0: And that's it. The, the Knights one thirty two to twelve. I thought a uh, really good effort from Taufa, Mataufa, uh, The Lock forward and captain for the Eels. I thought she, uh you know, really put in and was very emotional post-game, I noticed as well. Uh, and the Jularoos have named a very, very strong team, a very, very strong squad for the upcoming World Cup. Tamika Upton and Millie Boyle, the two gun recruits for the Premiers, the Newcastle Knights, both made the side. But have both dropped out, uh, Tamika Upton with a calf injury that she was carrying and Millie Boyle for work reasons. She wanted to focus on her, uh, her organization that works with people with disabilities, which I think's a bit cool, to be honest. Um, uh, but it might also be a sign that this is an expensive thing for the girls to, and the women rather to, take part in they're not fully professional yet you know so maybe other things take priority sometimes i'm not really sure how to see that one it seems like a positive story though uh they have been replaced by shaley bent and emma Tonigado, both from the dragons kieran uh you're an unabashed fan of millie boyle and the work that she does um her prioritizing that above a Ruse jersey that says a lot about the person she is
2: yeah definitely i i respect it a lot uh obviously i've spoken about the fact that the big E, who comes on the show has this phenomenal tip my brother i have quite a close affinity with people with a disability so i think it's awesome what she's doing and yeah just on the replacements emma tonegado uh, i think that's a, a very capable replacement for upton um i think she'll go well and then shaley bench she's uh well i didn't really is Shirley
0: Bench a front rower she's a back rower yeah so she's not really a like for like replacement um which i found interesting i i guess they'll just move the forward pack around in the squad and, and, and cover Millie Boyle that way.
2: Okay, yeah. No, I think it's a, a good um, pick for the side, but yeah, I just, I thought they weren't like for like.
0: Chris, yeah, I, I mean, Kieran sort of raises an interesting point there that, yeah, Tonegato is a pretty good replacement for Upton, almost like for like, really, in a lot of ways, but Millie Boyle will be hard to replace. Uh, Jularu's still surely the favourites this year, though.
1: Yeah, um, surely still the favourite. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about um, uh, why um, she's missing the World Cup. Uh, hopefully, it's not a financial thing, rather more a, um, um, like a moral kind of decision. So, like you mentioned, hopefully, it's a nice story rather than a kind of sad, or I guess maybe not, yeah, sad story about the you know the need to further you know professionalise um, women's rugby league. But yeah, um, still clear favourites in my opinion. I'm sure they'll make shift that in some kind of way that obviously they're very hard to replace those two but um, I think Australia will still be fun.
0: I agree, guys it's time for a short little break, we're going to go to Big E's, it's not phenomenal tip of the week per se it's more like Big E's phenomenal grand final analysis, back soon alright, I'm here with the Big E for the phenomenal analysis of the grand final, Big E how are you going today?
3: <clears throat> doing good. Yes, I know the pandas did good too, Dan. <laughs> but uh, last uh, one with Seafo? who dropped the ball. He needs. He needs to co- He needs to control the ball. Come on, man.
0: I think you're right, man. Like before the game, you had the eels at two hundred and fifty thousand plus. Yeah. That didn't quite happen, did it?
3: Nah. <clears throat> I think I kind of agree with you, uh, Dan. Which actually, yes, you do got a uh, good players. Uh, I think some of them are Samoa, by the way, but I, uh, no, nah. <clears throat> maybe the new team, the Dolphins, will beat the um the Panamanian, I oh, know um the Perry Panthers.
0: Is that your phenomenal tip of the week? The Dolphins will beat the Panthers next year.
3: Yeah. Oh no, hundred and sixty plus.
0: 160-plus to the Dolphins next year against the Panthers. You heard it here first on the Big E's phenomenal tip. Thanks, Big E.
3: You're damn right, baby. Phenomenal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome back to Above the Horizontal. A big thank you to Kieran's brother, the Big E, Owen Gibson, for his phenomenal... Well, if there was a tip in there, actually. He, he mentioned that the uh, the Dolphins are going to beat the Panthers next year in a game that they play, and the Dolphins are going to win by 160-plus. Kieran, can you lift the lid on the big E? Is he on drugs?
2: Um, he's not on drugs, I don't think, but um, whatever he's on, is on a bit of a high with that kind of a prediction. <laughs> Miles just broke the news that the Hammer has signed for the Dolphins next year, so maybe that's influenced his decision a little bit if he knew that that was in the works. Um, being a, a Mad Cowboys fan and a big fan of the Hammer, but yeah, definitely not going to happen.
0: Miles Stebman, our 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 roving reporter, I believe he's in Florence at the moment, uh, has broken the news on Hamiso I Fido. Well there you go. I will get your thoughts as a as a Cowboys fan, Kieran. How are you feeling about that?
2: A bit a bit let maybe not let down, but um Kyle Feltz getting on a bit. Yeah, I think that there was definitely still a spot for Hamiso in our side. But he obviously wanted to chase that starting spot and it, it wasn't he's obviously been told by Peyton and there. Um, the Cowboys that there wasn't a spot there for him to start. I think he wanted fullback. so um, if it's Drinkwater or Hamiso, I'm happy enough that it's Drinkwater, well, to be honest, I, I, yeah, definitely would have gone Drinkwater. Um, I hope all the best for him at the Dolphins. I hope he stays in the NRL and, and really gives a, uh, a good example of the skills that he has. Yeah, I really hope he makes a good go of it, because I think he's got the qualities to be an NRL player.
0: Sad to see him go for sure. Chris, just on that very quickly, uh, do you feel like Payton would have sat down and told Hamiso or do you think him signing up Scott Drinkwater for five years might have just done the trick? And, you know, now that he is moving to the Dolphins, do you think the big be- E's onto something, that they could smash the Panthers 160 points?
1: Yeah, well, unless Hamiso had a spare two hours, um, he probably didn't sit down to talk to Todd Payton to finish one of his speeches. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, look, it kind of makes sense to me. I I understand uh, from, um, perspective. Um, it's just the fact that he's not getting a start anywhere in the back line, I think is the, the key, um, I guess decision there. I think maybe if he was maybe on the wing, at least, um, you you might've, might've convinced him as a more of a, you know, battle your way into number one and then things like that but I think the pure fact that he was coming off the bench I think it's probably a smart career decision for him um, relatively pressure free at the Dolphins there's not really much expectation there at least in the year one um, yeah I'm not sure about the big East tip of that one I think Penrith if any team's going to put a number through the Dolphins it's probably going to be Penrith in the first year but um, yeah so, yeah, I think it will be I'm very interested to see how the hammer goes there at, at um, you know a full season at one so best wishes to him hopefully it goes well and doesn't end up in super league like miles messages
0: <laughs> i um by the way guys, it was remiss of me not to mention this earlier but uh daniel friend who couldn't be with us this evening because he is unwell he's got the flu pretty bad at the moment he 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 wanted us to really really express how proud he is that of the uh, of the knights nrlw team for Managing to win the NRLW, that was a big thing for him. So sorry, friend, I forgot to mention it earlier, but definitely want to mention it for you now. Let's talk about the NRL grand final, the Panthers versus the Eels. As, as the be mentioned, he lamented the fact that he got that prediction way wrong. The Panthers were, as, as, as you said earlier, Chris, uh, among the most brilliant Efforts that we've ever seen in in a, in a grand final from a complete side. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, maybe the the Roosters against the Storm in 2018 was really clinical that first half particularly. I mean, the Storm were really good against the, the Cowboys in 2017, but you know, the Cowboys were, I think, a bit of a weaker team there. Uh, it was it was certainly an, an amazing performance from the Panthers, um, somewhat solid by their their post match situation. I expected the Eels to start strongly. I expected them to be right in the contest. Uh, but you know, 18 nil down at half time. It could have been more and it did blow out to be 28 nil. Um, right towards the end of the game. Chris, it was just, it was just a clinic.
1: Yeah. That's the best way to describe it. Um, just so clinical. Just the, the discipline from or well, whoever was under 13 at the park at the time. was just so impressive. Um, you know, no stupid mistakes. The line speed was just something else I've seldom ever seen. I think they were just so quick in the face of um, parameters middle that just could not get anywhere. Um, I think they 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 were really smart with their um, their gamesmanship. I thought they kind of gauged um, Ashley Klein's interpretations really early. I thought they were getting maximum use out of laying in the rug, slowing the the ball down without. Um, you know, pushing that line and giving away a six again or whatnot. But, yeah, it's just it's, – it's really hard to, I guess, expand on it just since it was, you know, it was so good, like, just all, all across the park. Just perfect. I'm just reading Friendy's
0: notes here. He's talking about the fact that they – the pack particularly was just so dominant. And you look at the Eels pack, and pound for pound, Kieran, you could argue that the Eels are just as, as impressive or almost as impressive at least on paper – in the forward pack uh, to the to the Panthers. But it was just an absolute demolition job and the Eels just never had a chance to recover.
2: Yeah, a demolition job is exactly right. You had Leota in those um, Liotta, those first 10 minutes just smacking blokes every single time that the Eels had the ball. And then I thought Fisher-Harris led the line speed. Um, and the whole team followed. Like as Chris and yourself were saying, like they're... The whole team was there, like, charging into the Eels. Um, I actually thought the Eels had the better maybe eight to ten minutes start of the game up until the set after Moses nearly scored off that Dylan Brown kick um, from halfway on the first tackle. I I really liked that bit of invention, nearly pulled off. Mm. Um, I really thought from those, uh, that first five to ten minutes, I thought the Eels are going to be in this until the death, the way that they started. Um, the adventure that they were playing with. uh, And I actually thought they won the territory battle in those first five to ten minutes, despite the relentless line speed and rattling defense of the Panthers. Um, But I thought after that, um, the next set after Brown tried that kick for Moses, um, the very next set, the Panthers let the Eels go all of 15, 20 meters, and pretty much that's all they let them run for for the rest of that half, just about. Um, They would have been flat out getting more than 30 meters The rest of that half, the eels were just trapped in their own half. I I didn't think it was that the eels were lacking punch. It was just that uh, or um, were dispirited by the way that nothing was working for them. I think the Panthers just, as we're saying, pretty much just monstered them and didn't let them do anything. And then when the Panthers had their chance, they were just so clinical.
0: They were clinical and, and there was a lot of star players and a lot of people are getting a lot of airtime. You know, obviously Dylan Edwards won Clyde Churchill as as Chris accurately predicted. You know, Brian Toto ran for basically 300 metres, scored a couple of tries, one of which was particularly impressive, I thought. Um, although if he was in the correct position, he would just caught it normally and scored normally, but whatever, he was in front of the ball, whatever. Um, you know, Nathan Cleary, of course, just, you know, he's turning into, like, he's, he's, that was the least impressive game that I think he had in the final series. Um, and it was still like a, what, eight out of 10, eight and a half out of 10 performance. He was just really good. Uh, I thought Caroya Sao was really crafty when he came on. Yeo, solid as ever. The, the front rowers that you talked about. Liam Martin, very impressive on that edge. A lot of candidates for that Clive Churchill medal, but Kieran, do you think Dylan Edwards deserved it?
2: I mean, I definitely do. I, I don't think that there's any. Uh, way in my mind that I would say that's a, a robbery. He had something like two tri-assists, two line-break assists, 200 and whatever meters. Um, that would have come, come in handy had it been a front rower for me, for my bold. <laughs> that Scott Sattler-esque tri-saver that oh, people just can't up. get enough shut of. <laughs> um, no, I thought he was awesome. Um, I think, as I said before, uh, he was my Clive Churchill pick because he's that really strong effort player but he also still has that bit of spark about him um, and I think that's kind of why he won that Clive Churchill he, he has the potential to come up with some big plays despite not being really known for that and then you know that he's just going to be in the game for 80 minutes uh, I think it was deserved yeah what about you Chris
0: uh, on a similar kind of plane of thought
1: yeah I also had money on Dylan Edwards to win it so that probably buys my exception a little bit but yeah um, I like, yeah, I predicted in pre-game, I thought if I had a 3 2 1, I thought Edwards was the best. Brian Tolo, probably second. And then, like you mentioned just before, Bodley and Martin won. Uh, just, it is, I just, because everyone was so good, there was no obvious standout. Um, you know, but I, I thought Edwards was just, um, because of kind of that kind of game, his, you know, his um, previously unrecognized efforts were just really being, Brought to the you know the front of people's minds, and there was a bit of a cons- um, media campaign, not campaign. But um, media were finally starting to pick up on it about you know the work he does. So I think he's starting to get you know the the plaudits that he deserves for being you know a really a really great a really good fullback in a really good system there. So um, I think he's I think it's well deserved.
0: He also managed to work his way into the Kangaroos. Extended squad uh, in the sense that he's on standby, whatever that means. I think that means that he'll be in Australia um, and sort of just asked just to you know keep healthy, um, just in case he's required. Uh, but they didn't see it fit to name him inside the 24. More on that in a moment. Let's talk about the Panthers. There's been a lot of talk about dynasty right now. We've three grand final appearances in a row, two of them premiership uh, winners, you know, in a row as well. Is this the start of something? I mentioned earlier, like we could be talking about this next year and then the year after that. And maybe even the year after that, this could be a Queensland like dynasty. Maybe not eight premierships in a row, but like, you know, eight preliminary finals in a row or something like that seems very realistic for this team. But do you think they will be that dynasty, Chris? And, and you know, in the next decade or so, they've already won two. Like how many premierships can they win?
1: I think. Frendy alluded to it in the notes he left for us in the chat, and something that I completely agree with. That as long as they have Nathan Cleary there, and as long as they have, I guess, main parts of the spine. I know they're losing Happy, which is going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see um, the loss that he has on their attack specifically. But I still believe that the caliber of players they have there, the forward pack is just elite. Um, but also, all good teams have the challenges in terms of being signed away for more money, more starting roles or more opportunities, whatever. So obviously they're going to have that to contend with. But um, my money money is on them being a championship threat for at least the next eight years, to be honest. Um, Yeah, I can't can't see them being out of the top four anytime soon at all.
0: It does, it feels like there's daylight between them and the next best team, doesn't it? Like, it feels like at the moment, Kieran, that, like, I mean, who's, who's the closest contender? Like, the Cowboys are on the rise. The Sharks look they might, they might be on the rise, but both those teams could just as easily fall for Cliff. We haven't seen consistent performance from them yet. Uh, the Eels, you know, we'll talk about them in a moment, but, you know, they're, they're a fair way off the pace with the Panthers. The Storm look like they're on the, on the decline. The Roosters have, you know, been outside the top four two years in a row now, I think. Um, So, you know, it seems like the Panthers are a fair way in front. Do you think they've got a few more premierships in them, Kieran?
2: I struggle to see a world where they don't win at least one more in the next five to ten years. Um, I remember Matty Johns actually said, I'm pretty sure he said he... It, uh, foresees the Panthers winning three or four in the next 10 years. And to be honest, that could quite easily come true. Um, I think you need at least three quarters, bare minimum of a good spine to win a grand final. Uh, obviously Coruscant is leaving, but I think you could still quite strongly argue that they've got that three quarters that I'm talking about. Uh, most would argue, I think that they still have that. I think the nucleus of that side will stay together as Chris was saying. Um, so yeah, as long as they keep their spine, to-o, Yo, and their front forward, front row forwards, uh, it's yeah, just hard to imagine how they don't keep keep being. I mean, at least making it to the prelims, as you said. I'm
0: with you guys, and like if we consider like the previous decades, so like prior to the Panthers winning their their two uh, premierships, they've just won. So let's let's call it you know 2010 to 2020. Let's just call it that. The has won three premierships in that time. And the Storm won three premierships in that time. And they were the dominant sides there. And you wouldn't have said that either of them was like streets ahead in the same way that the Panthers feel right now. Like we were saying like round two or three that the Panthers had already won this comp. Like it was done, right? Cleary hadn't even taken taken the field at that point. Sean O'Sullivan was their halfback. And it was just like, yeah, it's so obvious that it would take something catastrophic for them to not win. And so it was. Um, I, th- I think they've got yeah three or four. They, they, they could they could win five premierships this decade. I think they've already won two. Uh, I th- I think we're we're under something. We're under something maybe that we haven't seen before in this era at least. Let's talk about the eels. They they were obviously very disappointed to come away losers in this particular game. Or well, runners up is probably the nicer word to use just for a team that comes second. Um, they I don't think they played badly chris i th- I think they just they were they were outdone by an unbelievable opponent. Do you think they can bounce back and you know make a prelim make a grand final basically be a premiership threat next
1: year uh i'm gonna say no um I just can't see them i don't know I just don't it's kind of hard to the kind of decision the that they had um. I kind of felt like it was now or never. Um, well, I mean, now or not in the next couple of years kind of thing. Not obviously ever, but... No, no. Uh, North just the bit. Bears style. Let's just do it. Yeah, just never again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just read Marnie with his gridiron passes out of nine. It's going to be a big miss. Um, <laughs> a Papali is going to be a big miss. Um, I think Oregon Kofusi is going to be a big miss. I think there's a few others leaving. Yeah, Niakora Cal-
0: as well on the on the yeah, bench. Opecic.
1: Yeah, Opaci. Yeah, Cowboys legend. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just I think they're gonna I still think they're gonna be a top eight team. I I hope for their sake Hodson is still somewhat the player he was. Um, you know he still has he's a very smart out of nine, so hopefully he still has that attacking flair to kind of help with their attack can bit. and I, I think he will, it's just a matter of if he can play you know, 18 games um, which will benefit them, so I want to say that they're probably going, if I'm making a prediction, I'm going to say that they're probably going to sink out of the the kind of, I don't, like if, if the question is, are they going to make the grand final next year again, I don't think they will no, I think there are better teams that Due to a variety of factors in it this year, like um, I think the Roosters will be right back up there next year. So the Eels might be in like that kind of yeah, maybe like the uh, kind yeah, realm. like yeah, yeah. If I had to pick, I'd probably say probably six, fifth or six, probably yeah,
2: right. six. What about you, Karen? What do you think? Uh, I had before the show started that
1: I thought that they
2: could make the grand final in 2023, but Chris has kind of talked me out of it after hearing what he just had to say. Um, the, the main reason that I, I thought, um, yeah, I'll say what I was going to had written down, I, I think that their halves really stood up and shone this final series. Um, with many saying it was all they needed to win the grand final. Uh, yeah, just the form of Moses and Dylan Brown, this final series. Even in that grand final, they had their moments. Um, I think if they could produce that uh, fairly consistently throughout a season, i, I That was my main point, that I couldn't see why they couldn't get back to the grand final. It's one of the best halves pairings in the comp, especially when, at least for me, when I saw how they performed those last four games of the season, I thought just, yeah, I thought they were really, really good. Um, But yeah, the the reason Chris kind of took me out of it is when I was hearing that list of players that are gone, and then I think the the real thing was, um, I weighed up, they only just snuck into the four, and I think if they don't make the four, I don't like their chances of, uh, of going on to win the grand final as history has shown. One thing that, um, friendly talked about in
0: his notes was as, as I'm like live texting him, um, uh, basically saying that we went after the Panthers and he's like, for what? And I'm like, Oh No. <laughs> He's got a, the friend he's going to wind up. He's got the flu and he's going to wind up at the end of this group chat. Um, so I'm just going to focus on you guys for a little bit. One thing that he said in, in his notes, uh, was that a lot depends on Josh Hodgson. And like you guys touched on, Reed Marnie will be a loss. So Josh Hodgson is a classy attacking player. Um, he's also carried a lot of injuries in the last five years or so. So, and he's not the youngest dummy half going around. So, Will he be an 80 minute player on his own? I'm not so sure. Do they have a backup option? Is Jacob Arthur going to be that option? Time will tell. Um, but also what Josh Hodgson did at the Raiders was that he kind of ran the attack the same way that maybe Cameron Smith did for the storm when they had Munster and Jerome Hughes there. Um, so for the Raiders, they'd have like, you know, during their really successful periods, they would have guys like Aiden Caesar and Jack Whiten, and Josh Hodgson was running the show. Now, at the moment, you'd say this is Mitchell Moses' show, and outside of that is Dylan Brown's show. Does Josh Hodgson sort of upset the apple cart? Like, he's a class player, but is it too many cooks spoiling the broth? Or does the threat that he presents at a dummy half enhance what Moses and... Brown can do separately. Time will tell. Uh, it's, I thought that was an interesting observation from our uh, Daniel Friend. Way too early predictions, guys. Are the Panthers the favourites, Chris?
1: Uh, at this point, yes. I'm happy to put them as premiership favourites.
0: And Kieran? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah me too. Uh, Freddie said the same. He said that the Roosters are the only real threat, but, you know, it's, it's Panthers for days. Guys, let's just briefly touch on the fact that the... Kangaroo's squad has been named uh, for the World Cup. Um, I'll just run through that squad really quickly. Um, Josh Adokar, Matt Burton, Regan Campbell-Gillard, Patrick Carrigan, Daily Cherry Evans, Nathan Cleary, Lindsay Collins, Ruben Cotter, Angus Crichton, Tino farsua Maliawi, Campbell Graham, your mate, Chris, very exciting for Campbell Graham, uh, Harry Grant, Valentine Holmes, Ben Hunt, Liam Martin, Latrell Mitchell, Cameron Munster, Cameron Murray, who is one of the vice-captains, Jeremiah Nanai, Murray Tarlangi, James Tedesco, who has been named as the captain, Jake Trevojevich, Jack Whiten, and Isaiah Yeah, who is also one of the vice-captains. It's a 24-man squad, 13... Uh, playing for Australia for the first time, which is very, very exciting. Kieran, are there any names that kind of stick out to you there? By the way, it's worth mentioning that there are standby players, Dylan Edwards, Nico Hines, and Damien Cook. So we've got the Clyde Churchill medalist and the Dalian medalist, both among the standby players with experienced dummy half Damien Cook. Um, Kieran, are there any players that you feel are maybe lucky to be there or surprised you a little bit, or maybe some players that are unlucky not to be there?
2: Uh, I definitely, if you asked me who was Mal, who Mal was going to pick, uh, I would not have said he would have picked Murray Tualangi and I wouldn't have said he was going to pick Matt Burton. Um, I thought that they were, they were both surprises. I suppose Murray Lungi is probably a little bit lucky that the likes of Coates, um, is playing for PNG, and I uh, can't think of who else, but there's probably a bit of a lack of wingers there um, ahead of him. Maybe Cobo, but uh, I think people were saying he he pulled out of a, a Broncos game towards the end of the season there due to tiredness, so maybe that's a factor. Mm. Um, and then Burton, I would have had Hines in the squad somewhere. Um, you probably pick Burton because he's, I guess, that like-for-like 5'8 player. Um, so I guess it's fair enough, but yeah, the, the bigger mission for me was Nico Hines. I would have found a spot for him somewhere. I can understand most of Mal's picks for their versatility for, you say, the likes of Whiten can play that many positions. Actually, he's six as well. I just forgot. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking of him more slotting into center, um, which he probably will do. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. And then I agreed with Friendy about Lindsay Collins. But then when I went through the list of front rowers that could have been ahead of him, I – couldn't really think of too many that that were there.
0: Yeah, that's that's the thing. You you've mentioned the fact that uh, he's a bit surprised that Lindsay is in. Um, I, I was a bit the same until I did the same research you did. Uh, it's like who else do you pick? Um, you know, do you pick? I don't know. Jordan McLean, Colin Hess, mm-hmm. uh, Jai Arrow. Like who's been playing
1: it's the answer definitely isn't Cohen Hess.
0: <laughs> and that's and that's kind of the point, right? Like um like that's that's where we kinda of landed, especially when guys like Junior Paolo, Josh Papaliti make themselves unavailable. Um, you know, Payne Haas also not available, obviously. Um
1: Matt Lodge was the one that was being thrown around as a um, possible inclusion in the squad. I'm happy with where they, they've landed,
0: considering that he was probably the only other one. Um, you know, someone like a Christian Welch or somebody would have been there, injury permitting, but, uh, you know, I'll take Lindsay over. Matt Lodge, Lindsay Collins' future model. Um, Chris, how do you... <laughs> just taking a pot shot at the guy's look. Uh, Chris, how do you feel about the squad?
1: Yeah, um, I'm not massive on... I don't really like Tuolonghi being there, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um was That was probably the most surprising one for me. Um, apart from that, um, I thought Hudson Young could have been there. Um, um, yeah, Hudson Young, Nat Butcher, Kurt Capel, I thought might have been a shout, but I think there may be some injury concern because I'm pretty sure he played the season injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apart from that, I actually don't mind it, to be honest. I, I think it's very versatile. Yeah. Um, Lots of, uh, Kieran touched on it. You've got lots of players like Burton, um, Latrell Mitchell, um, Jack White, and that just provides massive amounts of backline versatility. and you've got like a, a back, um, you know, center and wing backup. I'm, I'm not sure he'll start in Campbell Graham, which I think he deserves to be there. The only one I thought about was, and I'm actually surprised I'm saying this, but like, um, you, I think you still might disagree, but I'm not entirely sure I'm, I'm convinced of it yet. But maybe someone like Corey Oates over mm. Tualangi, Um just a little bit. I think just Tualangi is a little bit young. I, just, I think um, it's probably like a season or two of kind of that exposure. But, yeah, I don't know if the plan is to just have him in the squad as a kind of Jack Edwards project <laughs> um, <laughs> in terms of, like, this is a rep player of the future or if he's um, – Intending to start there because when I put a backline together, um, to a long is one of the only, I guess you would say, wingers, pure wingers there where well, I had someone like Holmes pushed out to wing and then Burton in the centers. But yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do. But yeah, like I'm, I don't have any massive problems with it. That That's just one I thought was a little bit odd, but um, I quite like it for all.
0: I think, uh, I think you raise a good point about Taolangi. I think, uh, yeah, I think Taolangi and C- Collins are the ones that surprised me the most. Collins is just through a pure lack of other options. Taolangi maybe a little bit the same. I, I think that was Suilei's spot. Like Suilei was going to be Murray Taolangi, and then Suilei chose to play for Samoa. So. You know, Mario Taolong gets in there. I, I'm with friendy in saying that he's a little bit surprised and a little bit maybe even upset that Kuroya Sauer didn't make it. Appy Kuroya Um you know, being probably the premier hooker in the game right now. Um, but considering the fact that Ben Hunt was so, so dominant, obviously, throughout the season as a halfback for the Dragons, and then also, like, really, really good, that rotation that they had with Harry Grant and Ben Hunt... In origin, I think it was a big part of the reason why Queensland won. Um, and then how many hookers do you want to have in a 24-person squad? You've got Ruben Cotter, who I would hate to see him use as a dummy half. I really would. I think he's morphed into a front rower now.
3: I
1: I agree. I think that's a bad idea if it's because that's the plan. Yeah, I
0: think I'd rather see, I don't know, freaking Cameron Murray. But no, I hate that idea too. I don't know who I'd rather see. Maybe Jack Whiten. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like, do they need another hooker there? They've got Damian Cook on standby. I would have thought that Correa would be in front of Cook, but there is probably a, a bit of a selfishness to asking Appy to sit back at Australia, be on standby, when he could just go and play for Fiji, um, who are a Tier 2 nation, and that won't affect his future chances of New South Wales or Australia. So I think that's maybe the thinking there, but I think he probably deserves to be there. Um yeah, I don't know. It'll It'll be interesting. I think it is a, a, a strong squad, though, uh, for sure. Um, I'm very happy. Things that I was really happy about, I'm really happy to see Campbell Graham in there. I don't think he'll be the first choice center, I think. Although, if, if they do want to have a pure right center, he's maybe the only option in the squad. Um, because, you know, Val Holmes has been a left side player for a while. LaTrell Mitchell's a pure left side player. So is Jack White. I mean, he has played right center for Australia before, but he's a left side player. So is Matt Burton. Um, Josh Adakar, the winger. So yeah, he might, he might actually be the first choice center. Um, time will tell. Um, but I was really happy for him. Chris, I know you're an unabashed fan of Campbell Graham. Must be
1: nice to see his name in the, in the list. Yeah, I think it's well deserved. Yeah, um, just someone, he's just a really good defensive center, which I think nowadays um, can kind of go, uh, I guess, under noticed in kind of plaudits and stuff like that. So he just had a really solid year as well. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to agree with your initial thought there. I think he's probably going to be a backup, and they'll utilise, you know, something of Mitchell, Burton, Blayton, Asset, or Holmes in their center pairing. But yeah, I think I, I I really like your selection. Uh, I think it's well-deserved. Absolutely. Kieran, are there any, any
0: chinks to the armor that you can think of or, or is that, uh, uh, in terms of, in terms of that right center spot, actually come to think of it, do you think it will be Campbell Graham or do you think they might move Val across there or something?
3: Um,
2: I would, in all honesty, I would prefer to see... I think Campbell Graham, um, his defense, um, is just really, really good. Uh, It really stood up in in the final series. I know that they got blown away by the Panthers, but um, I thought it was excellent defensively. I I, I wouldn't mind it. Um, Even if it's in the final, I would not mind. I would have no issues with Campbell Graham playing there. Um, You've definitely got enough spark in the rest of the side, and not to say that he can't attack. Um, But yeah, I wouldn't mind it. I probably wouldn't have him this first choice, but I'd have no issues if no I went that way.
0: Now, I have a very quick answer from both of you, because we are running short of time. We have, you know, really gone, gone over the top here today. Um, after Origin 3, there was a bit of contentiousness about the idea of who's going to be the halfback, right? It's going to be Daily Cherry Evans or it's going to be Nathan Cleary. And Daily Cherry Evans outpointed Cleary in the Origin series, and I think tactically Queensland won that, and that was, that's a blight on Cleary's record, to be fair. Can we put that to bed now, though? Do we think that Cleary is definitely going to get the number seven jersey, Chris, or do you think that Mal might have other ideas?
1: Uh, You never know with Mal Um, has been historically Queensland heavy in the past, but this squad really isn't. Uh, My personal opinion, I think Cleary deserves it. Um, I do concede the point you just made about DC and Origin, but... I think I think it's I think it would be a a farce if Nathan Cleary is not the Australian number seven. I am um, curious to see something I popped in my head the other day is maybe they might revert DCE to his old Queensland origin days, his early Queensland origin days where he was off the bench. But mm. um, I think Nathan Cleary should be the starting seven.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think DCE uh, plays. At seven at some point, but I'm not sure he starts there, and I don't think he should be there above Cleary in the big games. Uh, What do you think here?
2: Yeah, I think the the reason that people are saying maybe DCE is for his kicking game in that Origin Game 3, but Nathan has that kicking game in him as well, and he has more to his game to add that Cleary or DCE rather probably doesn't have. So, yeah, I definitely would lock in Cleary.
0: So, Mal, I know that you're a big fan of the show, mate. Uh, if you can just slot Cleary in there, please, mate. Just stop, stop flirting with us. Just, you know, DCE is a fine player. He deserves to be in the squad. I don't think there's much doubt about that. It might be his last Australian squad, though, with Nico Hines nipping at his heels. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's Nathan Cleary's time for sure. Guys, thank you very, very much for your thoughts. We will dive into the World Cup probably a little bit more next week, including looking at... The other squads, including the incredibly strong squads named by New Zealand, Samoa, have a very strong team. I think Samoa might even be stronger than Tonga at the moment because Samoa at least have some halves um, that Tonga don't seem to have. Tonga have maybe the best forward pack on paper, even with Tamalolo suspended for a bunch of it. England's got a decent team as well. So we'll cover all of those squads uh, and our thoughts on the World Cup next week. But for now... We've got freedom from footy for one weekend. Chris, what are you going to be doing with your weekend away from footy?
1: I'll probably get rained out in cricket again for the third straight week. Of course, it's absolutely pissing down at the moment. So uh, probably just take it easy and enjoy the last little bit of freedom I have before back to work next week.
0: Yeah, uh, good luck with that. Uh, Enjoy your school holidays. Uh, Kieran, do you
2: and the Big e have any plans
0: for the weekend coming up now that there's no footy on?
2: Uh, if the Nairobi Marathon is still going, I might put that on. <laughs> um, but outside of that, it's um, coming into summer now in Australia. It's still a couple of months away, but um, I'm really loving this time of year, so I'm probably going to get out on the uh, board along the river the brown snake in brisbane and outside of that i'm not sure just relax
0: yeah boys it's oscar season for me i'll be at the cinemas just about uh, last weekend i was at the cinemas every day um for different movies and that's going to be a bit of a trend for me so uh, keep an eye out for my other podcasts uh, academy watch which is coming very shortly to cover the oscars coming up and thanks to all the listeners who are tuned in uh, for this episode and throughout the season we will be of course covering the world cup while it's on and then we're doing season reviews after that as well so don't forget to subscribe so you can enjoy all of that content and some more above the horizontal next week until then Above the Horizontal is brought to you by The Pioneer Australia. Find them on Facebook or at www.pioneeraustralia.wordpress.com. The panelists are Miles Stedman, Kieran Gibson, and Daniel Friend. And it's hosted and produced by me, Bo Nicholson.